0: In today's show, we're looking at the Houston Rockets, their young players, the fantasy sleepers, the fantasy busts, a deep dive on the delicate dancer Alperen Shangoon, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are locked on fantasy basketball at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. Earlier today, I did a show reacting to your hot takes that you gave me over on Twitter and on Instagram. So check that out. A little bit of a fun show, a little bit of a different change of pace. We are up to Houston now in team previews. There is a mock draft coming later this week. Deeper league mock draft. There is a show on last round flyers, which is what I used to call it, but I'm going to call it bench flyers. I need a better name than that. Give me some, what what can I call it? Yeah, Last round flyers, you know, I've extended to rounds 11, 12, 13. That's all flyer territory. What can we call it? End flyers. Give me something. Give me names. Drop them in the comments. We're going to do that later this week as well, as well as more team preview shows. Um, we're going to talk Houston Rockets here, and we're going to start by reminding you that you have an opportunity to enter the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl. Warning! Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've sent out invites for I think it's sixty people for the category leagues and about thirty people for points leagues so far. Keep an eye on your emails for that. It is a large field tournament. We're changing things up, doing things a little bit differently to uh, the Locked On Fantasy Basketball FBI World Cup. And those invites, I think there's about a quarter of those invites still to go out for the World Cup, which is your standard 9-cat league, uh, determining, trying to determine the best fantasy basketball player in the world based on uh, those standard settings. This one, we're doing it different. So I want to change fantasy. I want to make it better. And what I'm doing in this one, we're doing 18 man rosters, 10 starters, 8 bench, more stashing, less about the activity of streaming reducing the impact of schedule, 40-game hard cap. We're doing a um, $50 entry where the top two in the playoffs get $200. And then those top two from each division, 60 divisions in head-to-head, 30 in points, maybe 60 if we get more people interested in it, will compete for a prize that's in excess of $5,000, probably pushing to seven, dollars $8,000 for first place. If you get into that Battle Royal week, Stay tuned later in the show. There have been a few people emailing me the answer to one specific question. That's not how you enter. There is an entry form in the show notes, audio-wise, in the description on YouTube. You click that. You enter your details in there. There's a couple of questions. If you get them right or wrong, it's not the end of the world in terms of getting in. So don't be discouraged. Just fill those out and there'll be a specific question from this show that I ask later on. That You will need to get that one right to get into one of the divisions of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl. We are here now talking about the Houston Rockets and their upcoming season. They have one of the worst quality game schedules of anybody in the NBA. 39 quality games only. Why does it matter? Well, that means that they are not playing as much on national TV. They are seeing their games absolutely loaded onto the Wednesdays and Fridays. This is the lowest number of any team in the NBA in terms of quality games. So when you're drafting a Rockets player, they are playing on the higher volume days. It becomes more important when you're considering back-end guys and streaming guys, but it is important for top-end players as well because the more they play on Wednesday and Friday, it means the more you can't use your 11th and 12th and 13th uh, ranked guys. So you want to make sure that you're not you know, getting Rockets guys and then Hornets guys and these guys with a really small amount of quality games because otherwise you're going to find overload days and really empty days on your schedule they got 14 back-to-backs right in the middle. Shouldn't impact too much for them. Their max weeks, they're also in the middle there. So 14 of their weeks for fantasy is the maximum amount of games played. And for the playoffs, it's not bad. It's not terrible. They go 4-3-3 if you finish 24th of March, which is the Locked On Fantasy Basketball schedule. They go 3-3-4 if you go 31st of March. They go 3-4-4, which is Yahoo default. Um, and they go 4-4-4 max week if you do um, have um, some level of brain damage and go to the final week of the season. Apologies, that's clearly a joke. I'm sure you don't have brain damage, but please don't play to the last day of the NBA regular season. It's dumb and you shouldn't do it. Let's look at what some pressure points are On this team, we don't know what the new coach is going to do. They go from having a player, uh, not a player, a coach who's not an NBA coach in Steven Silas, a terrible coach, a dreadful coach, who's been a dreadful coach the whole time he was there. We knew all of this. This was blatantly obvious from the moment he was hired. To Ima Yudoka, and let me give you my take on Yudoka that doesn't involve any of the off-court stuff, which the reports on that weren't great. He was obviously suspended for a whole year. The Rockets, they can do their... uh, uh, I'm going to say a phrase here. And when you guys would say it in an American accent, I say you guys, 70% of my audience, you'd say they do their due diligence. Bro, those are two different words. Why do you say them the same? They do their due diligence. Now, you could make the argument that if you say due and due, that they're the same words as well. I get it. But I'm not saying do their due diligence. They do their due diligence in hiring him, but I'm also not really going to trust their... uh, what do you call it, their focus on morality when they're signing players or coaches. I'm not going to really think that that's the top of their priority. I I don't know which teams care the most. That's not true. I don't know how every team feels about that sort of stuff. I can infer that the Hornets don't care about it at all. I can also, I can't infer this. I have been told this by multiple people that it is one of the top things that the Thunder look at they look at ship bloke, good bloke. Good bloke, we'll overlook other things. Ship bloke, not even considering it. The other teams, I can't really tell you, but Rockets seem to be sliding more Hornets than Thunder. But irrespective of all that stuff about Udoka, he was, and this is not a hot take, he was bad at his job when he began for the Celtics. He was bad. They were bad. He was calling out players in public. The players were going, what's this boy doing? They were incoherent on court. He was bad at his job. But he was new at his job. And he improved massively after the first three months and took that team all the way to the finals. Fantastic. But he was also bad. This is a very different team, a very different scenario. So I don't think we go, well, finals is a rookie head coach. He's an elite coach. I'm, I'm not 100% convinced on that. He did take big steps forward and improved a lot. We'll see how that carries over. We'll see if that frustration that he had early on with his time in Boston where he would just unload in the media and just go, it's not my fault, the players, they're actually just shit house. Paraphrase, but that's what he would say. And when he's won a team that's not as good, does that come out again? Do the players go, screw this bloke, what's he doing? What's he talking about? That is a legitimate concern that never gets really brought up. He was actively a bad head coach to begin his time in Boston. And he actively improved significantly to become a very good head coach. But I'm not going to count it all out. Also, and so what does he do? Like he played his guys quite a few minutes in Boston. What sort of rotation does he use? Because he comes in blank slate, really, with these guys. He has no history with any of these players. How does he view them? What does he focus on? How does he want to run an offense? Who gets the ball? Who doesn't get the ball? Do they run plays for a top three overall pick? Does defense the most important thing? Seems to be because he was really keen on bringing in Dylan Brooks. So that's going to be key. That's the defense focus. The other thing here is one of the other big rotation things or the big pressure points, the big drone view is how good does a men-Thompson look in camp? Hey, hey. Because... When I was at Summer League, I was talking with Jackson Gatlin of Locked On Rockets. We were there watching the Rockets games. And we're talking about the rotation. He's like, yeah, men's probably only going to play limited minutes. Backup point guard. Um, And I said said to him, what if he's really good? Like, I think he's going to come out immediately and know what he's doing, which is rare for a rookie guard. And I think there's going to be a situation where they're going to go, oh, look, we can't not play this bloke. And then he went out that first Summer League game and I went, oh yeah, look, like exactly like this. Now, Summer League, obviously, is not the NBA. It's a very different story. But he came out, he did the exact things that I thought he would do. He looked in control. He knew what everything was happening at every point, defensively and offensively. And if he comes out and does that in training camp and in preseason, what the hell role do they give him? Because to me, he's not quite a normal rookie in terms of the processing and feel of the game. Both ends of the court. I think he's, I think he's elevated quite significantly above those guys. Now, Yudoka might be this hard-ass, like you're a rookie, you're never playing, but I just think a man might be a little bit different. So we want to see what happens there in training camp for him because it is is a pretty key point, I think. Today's episode is brought to you by the Jace case from Jace Medical. You don't want to get caught unprepared or underprepared. Because what Jay's case is, it's doctor-created, it's doctor-recommended. It's a case providing five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. It's emergency use. You get it, you fill out a form, you talk to the board-certified physicians, you've got ongoing care from those physicians delivered from licensed pharmacy premises to get those antibiotics to you. But it's for emergency use, not about if you get a sniffle and you ah, I think I'm going to pop an antibiotic. That's not how antibiotics work. I know. I am a pharmacist. Well, I'm not registered anymore, but I am a pharmacist. It's not what you use antibiotics for, but... In situations of flood, earthquake, cyclone, hurricane, tornado, bushfires, snake bites maybe, spider bites, pandemics, road closures due to whatever, and you cannot get to your doctor or the hospital, you need to have a level of preparedness. And that is what the Jace case provides. The best time to use it is never. You never want to have to use this stuff, but having it at home, can be literally a lifesaver. And you can save $360 on these life-saving antibiotic options by getting them from Jace Case and you get an extra 20 bucks off by using our code LOCKEDON at checkout at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. The promo code is LOCKEDON. Again, I am very, very big on not overusing antibiotics. I understand the problems of this. This is how I work and I would discourage people in the pharmacy from antibiotics all the time. But sometimes you need them in an absolute emergency, and that is what this is for. This is not just stocking your cupboard with a throat lozenge. Do you say lozenge or lozenger? Because it's definitely lozenge. This is life saving shit. And i sorry, Jace, case, but that's what it is. Locked on, Jace Medical, J A S E Medical.com. Got four guys as breakout candidates on this team. What do I mean by breakout candidates? Do I think they're all going to break out? Not necessarily. What I do think is there is a chance when we look at their projections that something can happen very easily that turns them into players who easily exceed what they did. Easily. The first one of those is the delicate dancer Alpren Shangun, but we are going to talk about him under the lens in a sec. It's a delicate dance in just 17 steps. The next one is Jabari Smith. Ah, Smitty. I thought he'd be pretty solid last season. I did have him third overall in that draft class, relatively clearly. But I also thought he'd be able to shoot a lot better than he did as a rookie. And I thought that more of his defensive stats would translate over. And they didn't, unfortunately. But he played 31 games. He averaged 13 and 7, one and a half threes, a block, shot 79 from the line. The problem with his shooting was he shot 31 from 3 and 49 from 2. It would not be insane to see Jabari Smith Shoot 35 from three and 55 from two. That is not crazy in the slightest. And then 12, 13 points becomes 18 points. Eight rebounds, nine rebounds. Uh, the 0.9 blocks becomes 1.2 blocks. Maybe the steals, which were absolutely invisible compared to where they were in college, 0.5, that's putrid. Maybe he gets them back. And maybe the 31 minutes becomes 33. I'm not predicting that that's going to happen necessarily. Like, oh, I'm not, I'm just nowhere near... Uh, at that level with him. But I do think he's going to improve. I think we see a natural improvement in the level of shooting, but there's room for him to absolutely blow up. Now, back to my summer league talk, I was there watching him in those two games, saw all of those games. The first half, he was dreadful of that first game. What is this bloke doing? Does he not know how to play? He was taking terrible shots. He was disinterested. He was in the wrong positions. And then the next three halves, he went crazy and was knocking down shots. He was talking shit to everybody. He looked great. I don't think he's quite that guy, but there's clear breakout potential. And the same as there is with the guy who ostensibly is probably his backup. And that's Tari's second season. Because Tari Eason's a guy that just has these numbers where it's very obvious to see how the fantasy value can come. Last season, Eason played only 20 or 22 minutes, nine and six, but 1.2 steals, 0.6 blocks, 45 and 75. If he's a 30 minute a night player, he's a 14 and eight guy. One and a half steals, 1.2 blocks. You want some improvement in efficiency. He's not an absolute guarantee player, but like I said earlier, if we're going to talk about Yudoka's focus, if he wants defense, well, you might see Eason playing 30 minutes a night off the bench or even starting. And things got cleared up a little bit, although it hasn't been finally resolved with the Kevin Porter situation, which pushes his minutes up. But it's very, very easy to get Eason to be a top 100 player. Jalen Green's probably a little bit harder, the old Filipino legend. Now he averaged 22 points a game. That's unbelievable valuable. It's fantastic for points leagues as well. But under four assists, under four rebounds, 0.8 steals, 41 and 79. So not only does he suck at field goal percentage, but he sucked for a guard with that volume at free throws as well. Now 79's not sucking, but when you're that player and that archetype, you need to be 85%. You need to be Jordan Poole, 88%. To provide value. And he didn't do it. Can he? Why not? Most of his numbers actually improved last season. But his shooting numbers didn't. Now I still think that Jalen Green. We're going to talk later about him. Is that the way he's ranked at the moment. Is bust potential. But that doesn't rule out that he could break out. And there is an in-between there. Because the way I have him projected. Is like 70 spots away from his rank. So he could still break out from my projection. And still not hit ADP. In categories. In points leagues. He'll. He'll beat that ADP or at least be there. Floor's really safe, very different player in those scenarios. But his lack of steals, rebounds, assists probably go down with a men and Fred there. Yes, Kevin Porter's not, but those other two guys are. So assists probably drop and then he gets no defensive stats. We need the free throws to improve. Maybe, maybe not. But we're requiring probably three things to really step up for Jalen Green to to break out. He could, but I still don't think that he's necessarily a great uh, fantasy option for category leagues. Let's uh, go under the lens. Absolutely a polarizing player, Alperen Shingun. Last season, he was 60th in points leagues on Yahoo. Per game, 63rd on ESPN in points leagues. And using minus one head-to-head rankings, he was 61st. Really, really strong. He had moments where he was unbelievable. He had moments where it was frustrating. He had... um, And I don't really know what to do with him this season. I have got him as, where have I got him in terms of like minutes? I'm looking at about 29 minutes a game. But it's very easy that he plays 33. Because I think very clearly he was the Rockets' best player last season. Very clearly. I think that he is still an absolutely elite prospect. And don't be fooled by the fact that he went at pick number 16. He should have been a top 10 guy. Probably a top 7 player in that draft, in my opinion. I think he's got unbelievable talent and upside I think he should be a multi-time future all star. I really do believe in Shangun, but it actually doesn't matter what a fat old bastard like me in Australia thinks about El Pren Shengoon. It's about what Ima Yudoka thinks of El Pren Shengoon or what Rafael Stone thinks about El Pren Shengoon. And my worry is that they don't think that much or they don't think that critically about him. Because not only last season did old mate Steven Silas start Bruno Fernando over him, oh we need a vertical lob threat. You know what? You don't you don't need that, Steven. You need actually to get your best player more minutes. Um, Now, sometimes this happens where the front office is not in communication with the coach and the coach does something and the GM goes, bro, are you actually serious? What are you doing? Can you please play the bloke? Eventually, common sense won out and Shengun started, but didn't always get big minutes. He'd get consistently like benched for entire fourth quarters and cop the entire blame for the defense, despite the fact that we were getting turnstiled by Jalen Green and Kevin Porter out on the perimeter, and everyone's just waltzing through, and he's expected to cover everything, which is bloody hard. And you are going, going to talk a little bit more about his defense later. But this is a common thing. You're a white center who passes, well, you must be shit at defense. And to a degree, that happens sometimes. Jokic has been thought of as a dreadful defender. He's not. He's averaged to pretty good defender. Sabonis is a pretty bad defender, but he's improved quite a bit. He's okay. He's not dreadful. Someone to me like Hassan Whiteside was actually a dreadful center defender, because he'd just be chasing blocks and get himself out of position every time. It's like Marquise Chris, one of the worst defenders you'd see, but would block shots and look highlighty. Shinguz is not that guy. Very quick hands, very good on the steals. Last season, Shinguz, like I'm going to go really in depth here because there's lots to talk about. 14 and 9, four assists, a steal, a block. 54 and 78. Now the 78 or 68, sorry, from the line is troublesome. It is troublesome. We're going to talk about that in a second. But the graph that I've got up here uh, on the screen shows the minutes and shows just how insane the playing time was for him early in the season. And it went up and up and up. And eventually, we're getting 100-minute weeks consistently. There's that patch in the middle where you see the minutes push up, where he really showed, yeah, like we should actually get this guy some more playing time. And that was when Kevin Porter was out. The worry that we have is this free throw percentage, which dropped off. And there were some really rough weeks down the year. Now, his last week was at 81, and that's encouraging. But the fact that that trend line is going down and down and down and down for free throws is is a worry. We hope he can be an 80% guy at some point. But he's nowhere near that. And that does hurt. But it's why when you're also considering um, head-to-head leagues that you you take that into consideration. You don't have to weight everything equally in terms of building a squad. But that did drop. And that is legitimately a concern. What also happened was, and we're going to see that midweek spike when the minutes went up, Look at the assists per week. Just wasn't getting used at all early on. And then in the middle of the year, unlocked. Multiple 20 assist weeks. It's not easy to do. There's a 16, 15, 19, uh 20 24, a 23, 21, a 20. And then Porter came back and they marginalized him. Poor coaching. But I also don't know what Udoke is gonna do because they brought in Fred Van Vliet, they drafted a men Thompson. They tried to bring in Brooke Lopez over Shangun. So everything that I see with Shangun, I watch him, I look at the numbers, I go, yeah, this guy's actually got a real chance to break out. But then I see what the Rockets do, coaching wise and front office wise, I go, oh, they don't believe in him at all. So he's not actually going to be put in that position to have the level of success that he would need to have. His fantasy ranking per week, minus one, improved as the season went on. You can see there in the middle, eighth in one week, twenty fifth in one week. Some real strong top 100 weeks, one, two, three, four, five, six top 50 weeks out of 24. That's pretty strong, and got better and better as the season went on. There's a lot of rosiness that I talked about there with his assist going up, his rank getting better, his minutes going up, free throws going down. Um, but I do want to sober it a little bit before I really jerk him off towards the end. His darko DPM change graph's not encouraging because midway through the season his Darko DPM graph or, or value started to drop. And as a second year player, you want that to be above the zero line. You want him to be improving. And he, he was improving start of the year, had some nice improvements and was going up and then it tailed off. And part of that, I think, can be attributed to the the Rockets team and the poor teammates and all that sort of stuff. But he can't be absolved of total uh, blame for that, that he he's, you know, had some issues and was not, was not a positive player down the stretch of the season and was getting a little bit worse. That is a level of concern. All of this stuff ties into it. I don't know what to do with Shingun. He could play 34 minutes a night this season and absolutely blow up as a top 30, top 20 player. Or he could get benched and play 27 minutes a night as Eason and Smith, man, the four and the five. Now, I... I... Yeah, uh, uh, Dan Besbris talks about this all the time. I like Dan a lot. And me and him would argue about this face-to-face. No problem. He was like, I think Shengu might struggle because Jock Landau's in there as the backup. I don't think there's any risk of that whatsoever. That's a difference of opinion. One of us will be proved wrong. I think more of the risk is Eason and Smith taking Sengu. so I, I agree that there is a significant risk of Sengu's minutes. I don't think it comes from Landau, who's very, very clearly better than Bruno Fernando, Don't get me wrong and Ujman Garuba, very clearly. But I don't think there'd be a situation where they would come in and they would bench Shangun for Landau. For me, it would be more be Eason and Smith. So we get to the same result, just through a different process. And that's totally okay. We don't know what's going to happen. But, but, and I'm going along on this, but I do think it's important. Went to Basketball Index to have a look at a few things. And I, I put four different guys in here. And I did the ultimate sin, and I compared a white player to a black player. I know it's impossible to do, but I did. Bam Adebayo, Alperen Shengun, Demontis Sabonis, and Nikola Jokic. Centres, who have playmaking ability, Bam is considered a better defender than all those guys, no doubt, but the Jokic, Sabonis, Shengun combination, you see all those Pokemon memes of evolutions of these guys. Or the Vince McMahon, you know, rolling back in his chair meme with these guys. They're compared all the time. So I wanted to do it. So on the x-axis, I put used the busable index playmaking talent in the percentile. Of course, Nikola Okic, 100th percentile, is the best playmaker in the entire NBA. No one debates this. That is very clear. Would you have believed that Shengun was ranked higher than Sabonis on that measure? Not, not too much. Sabonis is about 88th percentile. Shengun's like 93rd. He's a very good passer. Did really well for Turkey in the FIBA qualifiers as well. But even if you don't think that he's better than Sabonis, at least he's on a similar level. And I looked at a bunch, it's hard to, there's so many metrics over at basketball. I looked at a bunch of different ones to put him in and it was consistently sitting him above Sabonis in that playmaking. I thought, okay, that's fine. The criticism is always here. What about Shengun's defense? Well, we saw the Kings have a successful regular season, get into the third seed by playing DeMontis Sabonis and running things through him and him being, you can argue their best or at worst, their second best player, and they were very good. I still think there's significant concerns with Sabonis as being a playoff player. I think Shingu's got a higher upside than Sabonis personally, but it's not like that lack of defense that Sabonis has hampers a team from winning or playing him a lot. So the thing I put in there was a rim protection ranking percentile. The other one I looked at was post-defense, and I looked at um, uh, perimeter defense isolation in case they have to switch out. You know, I can't put all of them on the graph, but in all of them, in all of them, Shengun came out looking good. And in fact, in this rim protection percentile, better than Sabonis significantly. He's in like the 80th percentile, Sabonis around the 50th. Jokic in like the 10th percentile for rim protection percentile. Um, and Bam was at like 75. So Shengun's was actually higher there. If you put it in post-defense, him and Bam were about equal. Up in that 80th percentile, Sabonis and Jokic down the bottom. The only one where Bam had a significant advantage was on perimeter defense isolation, where he was significantly better, but Shengoon was still better than Sabonis and still better than Jokic. So is it possible that Shengoon's defensive limitations are, are overstated and that maybe some of it is context-related and that maybe he's not actually as bad as... Rockets coaches, uh, Rockets management, or Rockets fans who believe more in Jalen Green and previously in Kevin Porter uh, think. I think that it's, despite all the things that we've said and we know there's some defensive issues, I think that it is at least worth thinking about. These metrics are not foolproof. You can, you can do many different things to have a look at at valuations of players but I would say it would be foolish to just label Shangun as a terrible defender because I don't really think there's much that actually shows that at this point the rockets might believe it and it, so it doesn't matter what the numbers say or what we think but I do think that that is that is important to show Today's episode is also brought to you by Fangio Sportsbook. Snap into action this NFL season with Fangio, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets. It doesn't matter whether you win or lose your first bet. So if you've been thinking about joining FanJul, there's no better time to get in on the action. You can look at Tua Tagovailoa's MVP odds. He should be miles ahead of everyone. What about the Dolphin Super Bowl odds? All of the week three spreads, money lines, over-unders, player props. Look at Kareem Hunt's rushing yards. You can look at that over in Cleveland now that he's been signed. What's the other bloke, Ford, that everyone's wasted their fab dollars on? All of those things are available over on FanDuel. So visit fanduelcom slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel is an official partner of the NFL and don't forget to gamble responsibly. Let's talk sleepers. Let's hit the sound again. I, I think Amen Thompson is a sleeper. Shengun, I don't really know. Like back just quickly on him. I think if you want to take him in the 60s, it's totally okay. He might be the 100th best player. If he gets benched for those other guys, he might be the 20th best player. He's one of the guys with the widest range of outcomes, I think, in the NBA. If I was coaching and running a team, you'd take him round two because that's how much I would feed into it but that's probably not going to happen. So there's a lot of downside with him. With the men, there's very little downside. He's ranked at 186th on Yahoo. His ADP's at 142. His fan track's ADP is 136. I love it. Round 11, I'm taking him. I was a little skeptical of what he was going to do with Kevin Porter there, but Kevin Porter is not there. And Kevin Porter, hot take, he won't play for the Rockets again. I feel very comfortable with that. I just don't... And even if he is traded... It won't be to get players back. So I'm just going to rule that roster spot out. And a man should be able to step in as a backup one and minutes at the backup two and maybe play a bit at three at times. A man is one of those guys, like when we did the Pistons pre and talked about his brother Asar, who put up insane numbers at OT. And you go, well, what, is this, what does this league actually mean? And then he did the exact same thing at Summer League. I mean, oh, fair enough. Or that's, uh, he does it all blocks, steals, rebounds, assists. The scoring and shooting is going to be rough. I know that. But getting a guy late, if he just works into a 20-minute-a-night role early on, let's see what happens. I love it. I don't love him as much on points leagues on ESPN where he's ranked 130th. I think that's that's not, it's not terrible, but it's not sleeper-sleeper value. He's going to be a better category league guy, I think, because of those peripheral defensive stats and assists and rebounds. The ADP on ESPN at 134 is really strong for a category league. We're getting second, second last round. Let's go. And we'll see what happens. And that is... That's what I want to find out. I want to see what he's able to do. And that's what makes him a sleeper because you get him theoretically in one of those last three rounds or so. And that will bring us into the question for the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl. I'm not going to... Most of the ones I've done have been numbers. And I've just asked you to enter the number on the entry form. This one... All I'm going to ask you to do is write the team that Amen Thompson played for last season before he was drafted. You don't have to go and look at them and call them the Reapers. You don't have to write Overtime Elite. For the sake of me being able to sort through the answers, just write O-T-E. Three letters. O-T-E. That is all you need to write as your answer. What team did Amen Thompson or what league did Amen Thompson come from? before the NBA draft. And that will get you an opportunity to get into the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl. Let's look at busts. And I did already discuss quite a bit on Jalen Green. Part of the reason that I'm just not that interested is that he's just too high. He's ranked 74th in 9-cat on... Also, uh, well, he's ranked 74th on Yahoo. They don't tell you what that's for. He's just ranked 74th. His ADP is 78. His fan track's ADP is 86, which I don't mind. It's getting closer. His um, rank on ESPN for categories is 84th. His rank for points is 66th, which, while we do think he's a better points league guy... 66 is about 35 spots better than he was last season in ESPN points. And his ADP at 96 on ESPN. Now, his ADP at 96 is absolutely reasonable. That is not a bust spot at all. Absolutely fine. Same as his rank on Yahoo at 74. Love that for points leagues. That's really, really useful. It's just that if you're taking him at an ADP 78 for category leagues on Yahoo, I don't think there's much upside in that. And there's a lot of asshole. Asshole. Why do I say that? There's a lot of so say, dropping the ass out of the, the rankings there for him to come through the back. Like, I just, it's not good. His rank on 9-cat at 84 is probably a little bit too high as well for ESPN. And that points league rank at 66 also just feels a little bit too high given where he was in their format last season. Injuries heading into the season. This is not an injury to this player, but it's an injury to his girlfriend. And that is Kevin Porter Jr. who was arrested for domestic violence. Um, There's just different statements that keep coming out from different parties. So I don't know all of the details. All I know that he was arrested And he has had so many chances. He was kicked off USC in college for unspecified disciplinary reasons. Must be pretty bad, yeah? He was drafted late because of the intel the team's got about his attitude and behavior. He was sent away from the Cavs for free. For free. They got nothing back. They just traded him. They get this bloke out of here. They got rid of him for throwing soup at a... General, I think it was Kobe Altman, because he didn't like that someone had moved into his locker. He left a game halfway through for the Rockets last season. There were allegations that he pushed a coach. These are all the things we know about. There's records that he's had domestic violence incidents against his partner in the past. Nobody's good enough to get these set second chances. Second chances in life, sure. Doesn't mean you need to have second chances in the NBA. I don't think there's any way he plays a single minute this season and he definitely won't be playing for the Rockets. I, so yeah, just rule him out of any projection you have. Don't draft him. I think they do. Well, no, I think they do. They are obviously trying to get a trade and while it seems grubby for them to do that or for the team to acquire him, most of it is basically salary cap minutia. They'd be trading him away and they'd maybe send picks out to do it in order to maintain a level of cap flexibility with his roster spot. The team that would take him on would be doing it to get assets. They wouldn't care about the cap space for this season and they would waive him immediately because that contract is non-guaranteed for the specific reasons of him being a ship bloke. It just feels grubby. But there's, it's a whole like technical sort of part of it of getting that cap space and keeping the flexibility, I think from a moral perspective, you'd probably just want to come out and say, look, we're just cutting the bloke, like, uh, don't want this shit around, get it done immediately, just get him out of here, like, we don't want him on our team, and that is what they probably should do, but the reason they aren't is a whole bunch of, like, the legal process, Um, but, you know, you also also don't have to wait for the legal process to play out before you waive a guy, you can waive a guy literally for any reason you want, you say, you're waived. Here's your fifteen million for this season, and you pay no, we pay nothing for any other future seasons. So it's still messy, but you know, don't expect him to play for the Rockets this season, and I hope never again in the NBA. Aaron Holiday is their only upcoming free agent. He's unrestricted. I I, just, I he's never really developed into a good player, and I don't think he's going to. What are the rotation risks on this squad? Well, it is really the big one here is Udoka limiting Shengoon because he buys into the defensive narrative and keeps him at 27 minutes and plays a lot more of um, Smith or even it is maybe it is Jock Joklander. Maybe Dan's right on that one and it is Lando playing over Shengoon. That's a real risk. Thompson's shooting issues become a real problem and despite him dominating defensively, having elite feel as a connector, uh, they just can't afford to have him and like Dylan Brooks out on the court at the same time or even Tari Eason, who's a bad shooter. Having that combination probably doesn't work, and that leads to maybe they force themselves into playing, Jesus, more Aaron Holiday. The other thing that could happen is, like, Tari Eason could play, outplay Jabari Smith. Now, again, when I spoke to Jackson early on from Locked On Rockets, he was like, yeah, Van going to start, Brooks is going to start, Shangoon's going to start. But Porter might challenge Green, and Eason might challenge Smith. Now, Green and Smith get the absolute head start there, Eason, I would say, outplayed Smith most of last season. He played as well as him in Summer League, despite Smith's big performance. Eason was awesome. And maybe the defensive ability and hustle, maybe he just gets a chance to actually cut into Smith's minutes or actually take over from him. Or they both play over Shingun. That's a possibility too. A lot of permanent monsters on this team. If Amen Thompson starts, top 100. If Tari Eason starts, top 100. If Shingun gets more minutes, Top 30. If Jock Landau actually was to start or play 30 minutes through injury or tomfoolery, we'd well, actually be a top one hundred player. He's actually very good at fantasy. We saw that last season when he had opportunities with Phoenix. He's he can he can play. So there are four guys there that have value sort of in their own right. Landau probably a bit less, but could move into larger roles and be really good. The depth chart, I think they're going to start Van Vliet and Green at the guard spots. Their backups are going to be Amen Thompson, who's going to be clearly in the rotation. And then there's Aaron Holiday, who may or may not be. And then two-way legend Trevor Hudgens, who I don't know why they brought him back for a second two-way guy. He's too small. He can't defend. He's supposed to be a shooter. He's There's no NBA future for him, I don't think. Sorry to that man. In terms of wings, it's Dylan Brooks, who will start. Brooksy will probably play 30 minutes. He is an absolutely elite defender. He what he torched the US for what, 39 points. was it 40. 39 points at the FIBA World Cup. He, do not, don't buy into that. Do not draft him in category leagues. There is going to be too many issues with his game overall and the poor percentages. Um, he just doesn't have a good fantasy game. Points leagues, I can see it. I can see maybe having a crack at him, but I'm just in category leagues. I'm not looking at, wow, look what he did. Third place game in FIBA. He's a very good defender. He's also a bloke that might come in with the level of swagger of like, look at this contract. This team loves me. Give me the ball. I'm number one. And he believes that. He, He believes it. And usually offensively, it's to the detriment of his teams. I'm not drafting him. I am putting Kevin Porter as there is a backup wing because he is technically still on the roster, but he will not play. And they also have a man, old mate, Jermaine Samuels, who I just missed an E off the end of his name there. I don't think they're going to traditionally start any forwards. And for forwards, to me, it's guys that can play the three and the four. The guys on their roster that can do that are Tari Eason, Cam Whitmore, and the wild thing, Jay Sean Tate. <laughs> much about that. I don't really think Tate is a particularly good player, but I know the Rockets do like him, and he is going to have a role. I don't think that Cam Whitmore is going to have a role on this team early in the season. I think the forwards are going to be Eason and Tate. There's probably a little bit more hope for Whitmore with Porter's issues. With Porter gone, there's probably a little bit more hope for Whitmore to play, but he's going to be playing, I would think, marginal minutes at best. And then the bigs, they're going to start Jabari Smith and Alperen Sengun. Uh, Jock Landau, backup, Jeff Green, Boba Marjanovic, and Darius Days in that uh, he's a two-way guy there as well. As for Smith, um, I think he's fine to draft around that number 100 sort of an area. I talked a little bit earlier. I think there's going to be a pretty sizable jump in his field goals, but I wouldn't go too high. But if he finished top 70, it wouldn't be outrageous. We talked about him earlier in breakout candidates. Eason, grab him in the last rounds and see what they end up doing in that rotation. But you can always drop. But I wouldn't worry about Whitmore and, and Tate. Absolutely not. In terms of the Durant and Baysmore metrics, the only one who really got a really sizable jump was Van Vliet, had a big jump up in Van Vliet, uh, in, Van Vliet, in Durant. And that does bring me into discussing Van Vliet because we haven't really talked about him at all. In fact, I don't think I've spoken about him much really here. One of the issues I think we need to talk about with Van Vliet is I don't think he's going to play the same minutes that he did in Toronto, but Doka Doka's not shy. He's not Taylor Jenkins. He has a real chance of still playing 35 or 36 minutes. Van Vliet is going to be bad at field goal percentage, but he's going to be good at steals. He'll get assists. He'll score a lot. He'll hit threes. He'll be very good at free throws, but you've got to have the field goal percentage issue there. There's no, there's an argument that Van Vliet is a second-round player this season. I don't really have too much concern with that. He's ADP is 22 on Yahoo. It's 30 on fan tracks. It's 37 on AS, ESPN. I love that. But again, it requires nuance in reading rankings. Are you looking at it going, man, that field goal percentage, I can't draft until round four? Well, you take him and you just either back it up with other field goal guys, or you punt the category. And then he is, like, at worst, at worst a top 30 player. He's ADP of 22 and a rank of 19 on Yahoo. While it might seem high to you, I think it's absolutely, totally reasonable to have him there. Durant actually has him 18th. In points leagues, we're not that high. We're looking probably top 50, best case top 40 for Yahoo points. And ESPN, probably best case top 35. I just think that there's probably not enough in terms of the minutes versus where he was in uh, Toronto to get there. In terms of Bazemore, my dynasty metric, well, there's a lot of guys with very high rankings here. shingoon inside the top 40, Jabari inside the top 60, Tari, Eason inside the, inside the top 70, Jalen Green inside the top 70, and Amen Thompson inside the top 60. And you skew that a little bit more towards rebuilding and Shang-Goon's like top 30, Smith's top 50, uh, Green's top 60, Thompson's top 30. like it's These are immense upside dynasty players. And that'll do it for me today. Follow this podcast, Apple Podcast, really interesting team. uh, Google Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, all those places. Leave a review, subscribe, and on uh, YouTube, thumb it up. Leave your comments down below. What do you think? Who do you think's the Rockets' best player at the moment? I mean, it's obviously Van Vliet. Who do you think's the Rockets' best player after Van Vliet? Let me know in the comments. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.